Romans chapter 1, continue studying this letter that Paul writes to a church, or churches, plural, perhaps in, in Rome, city of Rome, a city Paul has never visited. So we've mentioned Paul did not plant this church. He does know a few of the people that are there, as we'll see when we get to chapter 16, and he's signing off the letter. He names some of them individually. But for the, for the majority of the people there, Paul's never met them. Paul has never had a personal encounter with them. However, because of the, the calling that God has placed on Paul's life, because of the, the spiritual connections as brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul loves these people, loves this church. And he is dictating this letter to them, we believe, from Corinth sometime during his third missionary journey and this being dictated here in the letter will be hand delivered to this church in Rome. And we've spent the last couple of weeks as an introduction going through the introduction of the letter. But today, as we, as we move into this next short little section that Paul has, he's gonna really summarize, if you would, the entire theme or the reason that he's writing the letter. Verses 15 through 18 are the are the again the theme of the letter. If you um, if you're a if you've been at all trained in, in speaking or in, in the idea of getting communicating a message to a group of people, there's three simple steps in doing that. One is you tell them what you're going to tell them. Two is you tell them. And three is you tell them what you told them. And that, that is what Paul is going to do as we're going to see and we're going to study through the book of Romans. He is right now in this, we're going to look at this. He say, he's telling us what he's going to tell us. And we, again, we, this is, it's so important foundational as we begin to continue our study. So let's look at verse 15 and 15 through 18 today. Paul says, so for my part... I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Paul says something interesting in verse 16, and I want to kind of use this as our, as our central point even today as we look at this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, when we could probably start in very easily as we would go around the room here today in Surprise, Arizona, in this very safe place, feeling safe again that we're surrounded by other believers, and we would probably all say that I am not ashamed to be a Christian. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That the definitive article there, the gospel. And it's important that we understand what the gospel is. Go back to verse one. He tells us it's the gospel of God. The gospel of God. And it's important that we understand that that is what he is talking about. The gospel of God. Because he's going to talk about also the power of God, the righteousness of God, and the wrath of God as we go through this today. And it's interesting as we look at this and we begin to unpack this a little bit, notice that there is a word that is repeated four times in our text that we're looking at today, and it is the word for. There's four fours, 
in, our, in this little section that we're looking at. And the, it's an important word. It's a conjunction tying two, two phrases together. But the word for, when you put it between two phrases, it, it tells us that the second one helps define or explain the first one, kind of like because. Something because, something because, something because, something. And, and it's important that you understand all of those layers because the final one really kind of defines it. What do I mean? Well, I've spent the last several weeks shopping. Because I needed to buy some laminate flooring. Because I need to replace an area of flooring in my house. Because my wife hates the carpet that's in that room. (laughs) You see, until you get to that last one, if you know me at all, the first three don't make any sense. You spent the last few weeks shopping? But when you get to the last one, ah, all the husbands, happy wife, happy life, right? So it all makes sense there when we get to the end. And that's why it's so important that we, that we look at this in a little bit of reverse order. Normally, as we study God's word, we go through verse by verse. We'd look at 15, 16, 17, 18. Today, we're going to do it in reverse order. We're going to look at 18, 17, 16. We're going to work backwards. Because again, we have to understand, guys, first and foremost, the gospel of God. The gospel means good news. But it's the good news of God. And so many times when people, when we're saying, well, you got to get saved, you got to get saved, you got to get saved, people are saved from what? Doesn't make, any, doesn't make any sense to tell somebody they need to be saved if they don't understand what they need to be saved from. And Paul tells us that in verse 18, it's the wrath of God. Now, it's interesting when the world looks at that, you'll hear a lot of, a lot of things that will be said. Well, how could a loving God have wrath. How could, a, how could a, a loving God be angry at all? It's so interesting how we can discount God's reasoning while defending our own. We, can, we always defend our own right to get mad, don't we? Even when we know we're wrong. I know I shouldn't have acted that way. But... They, they said this about me, or they did this, or, or whatever. So we defend our right to get angry. It's interesting if we would just draw out a, an, an illustration, an example, where, where we'd say, okay, let's say you start your, this business. You invest all of your life savings into this business. You pour your whole life into this thing, and you build it from the ground up, and it grows, and it grows. And finally, you get to the point where you hire a bunch of employees, and you tell them specifically, this is the vision of the company. This is what we do. This is how we do it. This is what I expect of you. Boom, boom, boom. And you send them all out, and they all decide to do their own thing. They all decide to start acting certain ways, selling different things, representing you a different way, all this other kind of stuff. And if you were to then go and fire all those people, everybody would say you're completely within your rights and and justified in doing that because you laid it all out. Guys, God, the creator God, spoke everything into existence, created, made out of nothing. He created time and then he created space and then he created everything and he made it perfectly, the Bible tells us, everything perfect. 
And then he places man in the middle of his creation. And he says, I want to have this amazing relationship with you, my creation. And here's, here's how this is going to work. And man said, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to follow what you said. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to do this rebelling against God. And yet the world says God doesn't have any right to act that way. God doesn't have any right to be, to be angry. God doesn't have any right to judge that because who is God? God is almighty, holy, perfect, righteous God. He has every right to respond even in, in wrath as he does. But let's understand something or the difference. We so often try to put God in our little box to understand. When we, when we think of anger, think, understand this about holy, righteous God. He's never, ever, and never will have a temper tantrum. He's never lost his temper. He's never acted irrationally in anger. His anger is not vindictive. It's not capricious. It is righteous because he is holy. Because he is holy, the only righteous response to evil is wrath, is a righteous wrath. And we, we see that is the wrath of God revealed again from heaven against all, important word, all, not some, all ungodliness, and unrighteousness. It's God's character. It's his righteousness. He, again, is the standard. And anything that goes contrary to who he is, is ungodly, unrighteous. And his wrath comes against those things. Now notice, it says, of men, the unrighteousness, ungodliness of men who suppress the truth. Suppress, that means to push away. That means to, to forcibly remove, to hold down so that it can't freely move. And that's the way that the world would deal with this truth that we have sinned and rebelled against a holy and righteous God and we deserve his wrath. I don't like that truth, so I'm gonna suppress it. I'll tell you a little interesting tidbit about me. Two of my favorite things are ice cream and naps. And let me tell you a little bit about my ice cream and naps. My ice cream, I can't eat a bowl of it. I need a carton and a spoon. <laughs> That's the way I eat ice cream. I, to, you cannot describe ice cream and me as enjoy responsibly. I can't enjoy ice cream responsibly. And when it comes to naps, 15 minutes just doesn't cut it. I need at least four hours. So... My tr what, the, the fact that if I sit around and eat cartons of ice cream at a time and take continual four-hour naps, that's not good for me. Not going to be healthy very long that way. I don't like that truth. But just because I don't like it doesn't make it any less true. If I suppress that truth and continue to do what I, I want to do and eat all the ice cream I want and take all the naps I want and all that kind of stuff, and I end up with serious health issues, who's to blame? I am. It's somehow when we start talking about a perfect, holy, righteous God who says, this is sin. This will come in between you and I and our relationship. And we somehow say, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I want. And then his wrath comes against that response. We say, 
What's up with that? We blame God for that. Well, I said it's the good news of God. So far, it doesn't sound very good, does it? (laughs) But that's where we have to start when we're talking about the gospel of God, the wrath of God, the just wrath of God, the deserved wrath of God that everyone deserves because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we move then back, let's move backwards from 18 now to 17. For in it, the gospel of God, in it is the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God. Again, that's just so important when we're talking about the gospel of God. It is the the righteousness of God is the standard, not the righteousness of men. It is not... If you're better than most other people, you're ahead of the curve. And that's what we're talking about. No, it is the righteousness of God. Again, his perfect, holy, righteous standard. Now, again, understanding that that is what we are to live up to. And if we don't, we face the wrath of God. Still not very good news, right? Because how you doing? (laughs) But here's the gospel. He doesn't just stop there, revealed in the righteousness of God. Notice, in it, it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It doesn't say the righteousness of man. It says the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. That's the good news. Because you see, this perfect righteous life that all of us, no matter how hard we try, have fallen miserably short of living, Jesus did. The gospel of God is that he looked at us and, and we are all hopelessly lost, helpless in this situation. So Jesus, stepping off of his throne in heaven, became one of us. And he lived the perfect, sinless, righteous life that all of us are required to live, yet don't. He did. And then exchange that life on the cross for us. That's the great news of the gospel of God. Turn with just a couple of chapters ahead here into chapter five of Romans. Paul again, as he's coming back around to this in a couple of chapters, look at verse six, chapter five, verse six. For while we were still helpless, not while we were getting closer to that righteous standard. No, while we were completely helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, not for the righteous. He died for the ungodly. Remember the wrath of God revealed against all ungodliness? Jesus died for the ungodly. That's you. That's me. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. Verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse nine, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we'll get to justified in a moment, we shall be, note, saved from the wrath of God through him. That's the gospel of God. Saved from the wrath of God. The wrath of God that all of us deserve because of our sin, Jesus took upon himself to save us from the wrath of God. Now, 
The other glorious part about the gospel of God in verse 17, when speaking of righteousness, notice, revealed from faith to faith, we receive that by faith. Not earning it, by faith, we receive his righteousness. Notice again, it's in it the righteousness of God revealed. Not the righteousness of man, the righteousness of God revealed. He became our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Again, not works, not righteousness. Live by faith, accepting and embracing the truth of the gospel of God that it is never and it can never be my righteousness that gets me saved. It is always his righteousness that I am clothed in. That's the gospel of God. And that is great news. Because if it was left up to us and our righteousness, we could never have any certainty. We could never know for sure. But the gospel of God, his righteousness revealed, guys, we can know. Clothed in his righteousness, is, it's not about imitating. It's about the fact that it's been imparted to us. It's not imitation, it's impartation. His righteousness given to us. Paul says it this way, Philippians 3, 9, and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Faith. Receiving the truth that it's already been done. He lived the perfect life that we no matter how hard we try, have fallen so far short of. He lived that perfect life, that righteous life, gave it in exchange for ours. Now we are clothed in his righteousness. We accept that by faith. We are saved from the wrath of God. As we continue to work back to verse 16, notice again, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Paul, Paul uses this term, I am, a few times, trying, you know, describing th- these different actions that he has. I am obligated. We looked at that last week. Because he's received this gift, he understands that it, he's obligated to, to share it, to tell others. I'm eager. He's excited. He can't wait to get to Rome to share with them the truth of the gospel, to share with them all of that, all the everything that's entailed in the gospel. He can't wait. He's eager. But notice again, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. He says a couple of things also in, in other letters that he writes, speaking of these I am statements. He says to the church, The Galatian church, as he writes to them, he says, you know what? I'm amazed. I'm amazed how quickly you are deserting the gospel of God for another gospel, which truly isn't a gospel. It isn't good news because anything other than the gospel of God can't save you. Anything other than the gospel of God can't do anything for you. I'm amazed as to how quickly you're turning away from that, deserting the gospel of God to chase after a diluted, a watered down gospel. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He said, I'm afraid that you could be led astray. Again, following after another gospel. 
following after something, something again, other than the gospel of God. And here's the, here's the deal, guys. Anything that we take away from the gospel of God makes it no longer the gospel of God. It's the gospel of man. Anything that is added to or taken away from. If you have your grandmother's recipe for the cookies that she used to make, if you add anything to it or take anything away from it, it's no longer her recipe, right? You, it's now yours. And so the gospel of God, he says, I'm afraid of this. And he will tell Timothy, as he writes to Timothy, there's going to come a day when people will accumulate for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears, who will tell them what they want to hear, who will change the gospel of God because they want to suppress the truth. I don't, I don't want you to tell me that I'm a sinner. I want you to tell me I'm all okay and we can all just get together and have a fun time and we can feel good about everything and I can get my get out of hell free card and I can just, it's not the gospel of God anymore. I said, I'm afraid about that. And guys, we're, we live in a time where the church as a whole is far more concerned about the results of the gospel than they are about the purity of the gospel. Problem is, if you take the purity of the gospel away, you change it at all, the results are, are false. That's why Paul is so passionate about this. And why would we want to change it anyway? Because it's important that we understand. He says, the gospel of God, for in it is the power of God. The power of God. And that Greek word dunamis that is there is where we get our words dynamic, dynamite from. It's interesting because we've, we translated power, but it's important that we understand the, the power that is referred to, to there. It is the power that is innate within something because of its nature. It's not power that is supplied from an outside source. That's not the power that's talked to. Dunamis is power that is within something because of its very nature. It's, in, it's innate there. And so when Paul says it's the power of God unto salvation, we need to understand that salvation and every aspect of salvation only comes from the power of God unto salvation. And let's look at that because there's three parts that are important to salvation. First of all, first and foremost, justification. Justification, that is a moment in time event that happens for every true born again believer. One moment where you stand before a holy and righteous God and you confess that you are a sinner and you surrender your life to the, to the Lord Jesus. At that moment, you are justified. And we use that term in one way to easily to remember what takes place at that moment is at that moment, it is just as if I'd never sinned. Doesn't mean that the sin never happened. It doesn't mean that God just turns away because he would be unjust then and he is a just God. It just simply means, again, as we've already discussed, and when, we, when we looked at that, that Jesus took my sin. He became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. So I stand then justified. Declared righteous is what that word literally means, to be declared righteous, to be declared innocent. Now, how many... People in law enforcement, current or former, do we have? Either prison or police officers? A few of you, okay. All right. Of all of the criminals that you came in contact with throughout your career, how many of them were innocent? If you ask them. All of them, right? <laughs> I'm innocent, I'm innocent. So being declared righteous, it's important as to who's declaring them righteous. It's not us. 
No matter how much we try to say, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, we're all guilty. It's the judge, that it's, the, it's the judge's opinion that matters. And when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords declares you righteous, you are righteous. You are innocent. Again, clothed in his righteousness. Standing before him blameless, as the Bible tells us. Justified. Justified. But understand, and this is the point I'm trying to make with this, the power of God to justify. There's nothing innate within us that can do that. There's nothing innate within us, no power that is innate within us that could bring that about. Just like this golf club. There is nothing, nothing innate within the rubber, the graphite, the metal composition here that could make this into a golf club. There had to be some external source, external power that brought all of these elements together to make this into a golf club. Nothing there that could have done it on its own. Same again, true with us when it comes to our justification. Paul puts it this way when he's writing to the church in Colossae, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All past tense, referring to a past completed action. Again, back to chapter five in Romans. Look at verse one. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified, again, not through anything that we did, because we couldn't. The power of God through Jesus, we have peace with God. Our guilt completely cleansed, stand completely forgiven. The second element, though, in salvation is sanctification. Yes, one moment in time we are justified, declared righteous positionally before a holy and righteous God, but sanctification then is the process that continues on from the moment we are born again through the moment that we go to heaven. All throughout that is a sanctification process that we are in moving towards more and more righteousness, becoming more and more like Jesus, more holiness, more defining our lives. As a matter of fact, that word sanctification, hagiazo in, in the Greek, means to be made holy. It's the same, the same root word that we looked at a couple of weeks ago when it spoke of saints, holy ones. It is a process that we are within. But just as within justification, there is nothing in, innate within us that gives us the power to do that. Paul said of himself, and the same is true for all of us, in my flesh dwells no good thing. We can't do it in our own power. It's interesting when it comes to golf. How many golfers do we have in here? Oh, come on. I know there's more than three of you that are golfers. We live in Arizona. How many? Okay, all right. Okay, there, that's, a, that's all right. This isn't a trick question. How many golf instructors? Any golf instructors? We had a couple in the first service. Any of you have ever taken a lesson? Don't worry, I've been practicing this all week. So when you take a lesson, a golf in, instruction lesson, what do they tell you? They say, let the club... Do the work. Okay, so let the club do the work. All right, let's see how that works. 
worked well the first couple services. All right. It sounds like pretty silly advice to let the club do the work because it's not doing anything. <laughs> Funny that that, that just, it, we somehow think though that there's, we understand that in that there's nothing innate, there's nothing, there's no power that is within that golf club that would even allow it to. There, that it could sit there all day long. And it's never going to move that golf ball unless there is an external power source that provides what's needed. Let the club do the work. That's silly. Yet somehow we think our sanctification process is reliant upon us. There's nothing innate within us that can move us along that sanctification process to faith. Believing. Believing that it's the power of God that saved us and it is the power of God that sanctifies us. If you're struggling in an area in your life as a believer, you realize that God is calling you to further on or there's an area you just, you're struggling to get past that God has revealed to you that this is, this is not his will for you or his design for you or you, whatever it is. And you keep saying, I keep trying and trying and trying. That's the problem. Quit trying and surrender. Give it up. Because it's the power of God unto salvation. It never becomes the power of man, ever. He's the one who saves us, and he's the one who sanctifies us. He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. He is the one. We, by faith, embrace that truth. And that is where the victory is. And that is how we move forward in this walk. Justification, sanctification. The third element, glorification. One day, we're going to be in his presence. We're going to be standing in his presence. <laughs> Bad news for this golf club. It will never get rid of all of the impurities that are within it. It will never get to a point where there will not be adverse exterior forces going against its, what it's designed to do. Great news for us, we will. <laughs> One day we're going to be in the presence of God in, in heaven forever. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more growing old. Amen. No more external forces that are pushing against us and fighting against us. Glorification. And again, guys, there's nothing within us. It's the power of God. But again, it doesn't stop. Notice it, it is the power of God for salvation. Note this, to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. Guys, the gospel is all-inclusive. All-inclusive, but it is highly conditional. You have to believe. You have to, you have to come to a point of surrender, again, giving full, full belief, full faith and trust in the completed work of Jesus on the cross. 
The fact that it is, it never has been, it never will be, it never can be your righteousness. It is his righteousness. It never can be your power. It always has been and always will be his power. That is the gospel of God. That is the good news of God. And I think of this, and again, let's look at this again in Paul's life. It tells us that he's eager to get to Rome. He's just like amped up. He can't wait to get there. Even though as we studied in Acts, he knew every step along the journey was going to be hard. It was going to be difficult. He was going to face persecution every step. He says, I can't wait to get there. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. When we look at it and we understand that, how how could we be ashamed of the gospel? It's the only thing that has the power of God to avoid so that we don't have to face the wrath of God. Paul came to that point in his life. He had that true moment where he came to the end of himself. He meets Jesus face to face. And he realizes that everything that he has tried to do on his own, everything that he has done is nothing but filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. And nothing that he can do can make his relationship right with God. But he believed in Jesus. He surrendered his life to Jesus. And at that moment, everything changed. He had hope that he's never had before. He had joy that he's never experienced before. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he has passion to follow after God in a way that he never even thought imaginable before. And guys, if the same is true in us, we should be eager. We should, we should never be to the point where, like, that we would be ashamed of the gospel. I, I think it's interesting when we just, we look at that, you know, we're ashamed of the gospel. Turn real quickly, look at 1 Corinthians here. It's the next book over. Romans, right after Romans, 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. Because I mentioned these three elements of salvation. We have justification, sanctification, glorification. That all speaks uh, for, for us individually. But in there, guys, we're called to share the gospel. That's the proclamation of the gospel. And somehow we feel like we need to do that in our power. Same is true. It's the power of God not our power, even when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel. Look at Paul. Again, I remind you, the apostle Paul writing this. And when I came to you, brethren, the church in Corinth, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I didn't talk anything other than the gospel of God. But look at verse three. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. When God has given you opportunity to share the gospel with a family member or a neighbor or a coworker, have you ever felt weak or inadequate? Have you ever felt fear? The enemy will tell you, you're not qualified to share the gospel then. You better keep your mouth shut. You're, you, you, you're not. No. Remember this verse, the apostle Paul. Because when we feel those things again, we're relying on our own power. 
But he goes on to say, I was with you in that, but he goes, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. We simply rely on the power of God to to fight through and to push through that and to share our testimony, what God has done in our lives. Not ashamed of the gospel of God. And I remind you, as we started off today, guys, if we're going to share the gospel of God, we have to start with the wrath of God. We have to tell people that there is judgment coming because they're sinners. And somehow we feel like, oh, I can't tell them that. I'm ashamed to say that. I, 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 I can't tell them that. They might get offended at that or whatever. Okay. They might, they probably will, but here's the deal. We're all sinners. Why would we be ashamed to tell somebody that they're like everybody else? We're not telling them that they're different than anybody else. We're telling them they're like everybody else. And somehow when it comes to sin, we say that thing that we all have in common, I'm ashamed to talk about. Be like going up to them and saying, Hey, I don't know how to tell you this. Matter of fact, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but On the side of your head, you have these two fleshy things that stick out. Like all of us, we're not ashamed to talk about somebody's ears. (laughs) Guys, all of us are sinners, everyone. And it's got to start there. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to tell you that you're a sinner because you need to understand that, that because you're a sinner, you face the wrath of God. But... Great news. The righteous standard that you didn't live up to, Jesus did, and he gave his life for you. And it's not about you living up to that standard. It's about you accepting the standard that he is giving you. You put it on in faith. That's that's the great news of the gospel. I love how Paul tells us in in chapter two of 1 Corinthians that we just looked at. Guys, the pressure is off. The pressure is off because the power is in the message, not the messenger. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to think up all of these different things. You don't have to just share the message. That's where the power is. He said, "I'm I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. As a matter of fact, I'm under obligation. I have to tell you. I got to tell you this. And guys, we are too as born again believers. But I am under obligation to share right now with anyone who might be here today who is not a follower of Jesus. You've never taken that step in your life. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never made him Lord of your life. You've never trusted in his completed work on the cross for you. I'm under obligation tell you that you are a sinner. Every one of us, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and you face the wrath of God. But God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son. Jesus came and he lived a perfect sinless life. And he chose because of his great love for you to lay his life down take the full wrath of God upon himself so that you don't have to. 
Today, you can have your sins completely forgiven. You can stand before a holy and righteous God and you can be declared righteous by him. But it's a matter of faith. Bible tells us, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, will not face the wrath of God, but will have everlasting life. You have to believe. And for any born again believer here today who's struggling in an area of your life or you're, you know that God is calling you on to something else and you're, you're stuck there and you're saying, I'm trying this and I can't this or whatever it is, it is because you're, you're doing it. You're trying in your power. Surrender it today. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray together. Worship the Lord again together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your gospel. You're here today and you've never taken that step, surrendering your life to Jesus. You've never taken that step of faith by embracing his completed work for you on the cross. Wash away your sin. I invite you to just go before him right now in your heart. This is a transaction between you and God your creator, and you just say, God, I, I know that I am a sinner. No matter how hard I've ever tried, I've, I know I've never lived a life that pleases you. I deserve nothing but your wrath. You are completely justified in pouring out your wrath on me. But Jesus, I believe you took that wrath. I believe that you took my punishment. So right now, I invite you to come into my life in faith. I take this step. I believe. I believe you took it all. So Jesus, wash me clean. Give me that gift of eternal life right here, right now. I make you Lord of my life. You take control. Fill me with your spirit. I lean on your power alone now. Lord, for all of us here, let us never forget that we are saved by grace through faith. The same is true with our sanctification, Lord. It's your grace and it's through our faith that we, that we embrace again your power at work within us. Lord Jesus, we... How can we do anything but sing your praises? Again, celebrating the fact that we are free. Free from from bondage. Free to serve you. Lord Jesus, have your way in us. In Jesus' name.